Xavier University is tackling Ohio's nursing shortage by giving individuals with non-nursing bachelor's degrees an opportunity to accelerate into the profession. Whether you studied accounting, biology, marketing, or anything in between, our ABSN program can prepare you for nursing practice in as few as 16 months. So if nursing is your calling, now's the time to answer it. Enroll for one of three terms at our locations in Cincinnati, Cleveland, or Columbus. Search Xavier ABSN to apply. I feel, thank you, amen. This is a good day. Come on, are you uh, glad to be here today? And man, with your brothers and sisters in the, to gather together to hear from the Lord, to worship Him and give Him glory. You know, I love the Word of God. I've been just an avid student of the Word of God from the very time I got saved until now. And I, the more we go into the Word, the more we realize there's so much more to discover. And I've been on a journey for several years now, really just trying to understand why Jesus was so effective when he was on the earth. Why is it that everywhere he went, miracles happened, lives were transformed? One of the keys, I believe, is that he preached the gospel of the kingdom. I want to share that topic with you this morning, understanding the gospel of the kingdom, what Jesus preached. You know, Matthew 24 is really the context for this, what I'm about to share. Starts off with uh, Jesus, he's on the mount and his disciples show up and they show him all the temple and all the ornate buildings and say, Jesus, look at how marvelous, look at how, how grandiose everything is. And Jesus says, guys, you know what? This temple is going to be torn down. Is going to be destroyed. There won't be one stone left upon another. That freaked the disciples out. I mean, come on, it was the pride of Israel, this temple that was built during Herod's time. And Jesus just casually says what they perceived as casually this temple will be utterly destroyed. So the, the disciples perceive something very profound that often we don't get as, as those who didn't live in that time in that culture. They recognize that the destruction of the temple actually symbolized or signified a shift into a new era. So just follow along with me, Matthew 24, verse 3. It says that as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and they asked him a question. They said, Lord, tell us, when shall these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming into the end of the world? So clearly, the question is, okay, Jesus, you just said that the temple is going to be torn down. When is this going to happen? But then they added this. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, Jesus continues in Matthew 24. He begins to tell them about how there will be false prophets and false Christs. He says they will come to try to deceive many. There will be wars, famines, pestilences, pandemics. He speaks about earthquakes in various places. And then he prophesies that lawlessness would increase and flourish and that there would be really an intolerance toward the Christian faith that would result in the persecution of his disciples both then even unto now in the world in which we're living. You know that more people are being persecuted today than perhaps ever before in history for the Christian faith. 
We may not see that or perceive that here, but this is a reality. And so Jesus speaks about all of these things, the love of many growing cold, you know. And, but then he says something. He says, guys, even though all these things will happen, none of these are the sign of the end of the age in my return. In verse 6, look what he says. He says in verse 6, he said, these things will happen. These things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Wow, did you hear that? The end is not yet. A lot of times we look at what's been going on in the world, even recently, and we say, surely the Lord's coming is at hand, and, and I believe it is. But ultimately, there's something else that Jesus said will point to his return and the end of the age. So he continues, and he speaks into this very thing. Now, listen for a second. Jesus was not trying to be evasive. He was not avoiding their question. He wasn't saying, like, guys, all this stuff is going to happen. He wasn't using, you know, rhetoric as a way to kind of deflect the question, you know, as some people do today, especially when they're being asked a question uh, by the media. But Jesus was clear. He said, look, guys, all of this is going to happen, but it's still not the sign of the end. I want to say something to you today. Some of you guys might say, no, this is shocking. You mean to say the Bible actually tells us when Jesus is coming back? I thought the Lord himself said that no man knows the day nor the hour, right? But only the Father. Yeah, he did say that, but he spoke about an event that will and must occur before the end will come. And he points his disciples to that very clearly. We look at verse number 14. Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then what did he say? And then what? The end will come. The question is, what will be the sign? What is the sign of your coming and of the end? And he says, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the world, he says, then the end will come, specifically as a witness to all the nations of the world. Now, we're going to talk about this this morning, understanding the importance of really defining scripturally what Jesus preached in his day and what the apostles continued preaching after he ascended to the right hand of the Father. It is critical that we understand what the gospel of the kingdom is because so much hinges upon it being preached throughout the world to all the nations. So we must understand what the gospel of the kingdom is. There is a scripture verse in Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 where Paul refers to the gospel as the gospel of salvation. But do you know that's the only time in the New Testament where the gospel is called the gospel of salvation. Now, we believe, obviously, salvation is a critical part of the gospel. But understand this, it is the kingdom and the king that brings salvation. Can I get an amen this morning? It is the kingdom of God literally ushered in by the king, Jesus Christ, who is king of kings and lord of lords that brings salvation. So the gospel of the kingdom 
when it is preached in the world to all the nations, serves as a testimony, a testimony. And that testimony is powerful. It's not just in word. The kingdom of God is not just in word, but it's in power is what the apostle Paul said. So let's break this down. Let's look into this first of all. It's called the gospel. The word gospel, we use it so freely today, but I believe most of us really don't understand the significance of that term. This is a word in the original New Testament language that literally is, is, is very almost identical to the word evangelist in the original language. In English, good news and evangelist, they don't sound at all similar. But in the Greek language, they're very similar. Now, an evangelist is someone who would preach a message that literally would cause the people to rejoice. It was a message of good news, but not just any good news. An evangelist in that day was someone who was sent by the emperor to proclaim that the empire had won a victory in battle and had defeated their enemy. He would come and he would bring that report and it would result in the people rejoicing that the king or Caesar had defeated his enemies. And they called that the gospel, the good news. So it speaks of a specific type of good news or a victory report, a celebration that the king had defeated his enemies. Jesus speaks of this at wherever he goes. He preaches that the enemy is defeated. Do you realize that? It says that when he went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil when he was on the earth, Jesus came to destroy the enemy. He came to defeat him, and he made a public spectacle of him. We read about that in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 15. It says that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The language here is reminiscent of the practice of a Roman general who, after he had defeated the armies of an adversary nation, he would take the general and, and his, his leadership, and they would march them down the street in front of their home audience and would mock them, spit on them, ridicule them, and they would make a public display of them and shame them. And Jesus, Paul says, did that on the cross. He has disarmed the principalities and powers. He has defeated the enemy, and he has done so openly. He has made a public display of the fact that the devil has been defeated. I want you to know that this morning. Satan has been defeated. He is a defeated foe. And as a believer, as one who is born into the kingdom of God, we literally live from that vantage point that we are victorious already. We don't try to shift into a place of victory, but we operate from a state of already being victorious. I love what it says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became a human being. And as a human being or, or flesh and blood, he, could, he did so so he could die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free, listen to this, 
Only by this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves in the fear of dying. Wow. Jesus came to bring us the victory, to set us free, and he did this by destroying the power of the enemy. God is good. It is my desire that the time we get to the end of this message today, you will be encouraged, you will have a mind shift, you will operate and live from a new paradigm, that everything that needed to be done to secure your freedom, to deliver you, to rescue you, to tearing you out of that place of bondage. Come on now. Jesus went to the cross, and then he sent forth those who are called to preach the gospel, to speak a message of good news. As we go into a city, he said, I want you to preach and say the kingdom is at hand. In other words, he's saying, you go into a place, you let them know the enemy's defeated. They may never have heard the message before, but you tell them the enemy is defeated, and you proclaim that they can go in freedom. They don't have to be a slave to sin. They don't have to be tormented by the enemy. They can live in a place of freedom and victory in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I love it. Paul's preaching. It's like a dissertation. Some people call it the fifth gospel, the gospel of Romans, the gospel according to Paul. He says this. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Listen to me. He says, this gospel, this good news of Christ is the power of God. It's the dunamis power of God. What? Unto salvation. It is power that has a purpose. The power is to bring us into a place of salvation. Now, the word salvation in the New Testament is soteria. Soteria speaks of deliverance, preservation, safety, and salvation. In fact, one of the ways the word salvation is translated in ancient Greek, it actually refers to being delivered from the harassment of an enemy. Salvation, come on now. The, the Lord Jesus' salvation brings us deliverance or freedom from the harassment of an enemy. The prophetic word of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he's announcing the coming of Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. And he says in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 71 and then verse 74 and 75, he says that when Messiah comes, he said he would do so so that we will be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Wow. That is so powerful that we would be free from the hand of our enemies. Why? That we can serve him, Jesus, the Lord, without fear. Anybody need that today? You need some freedom from fear. You can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. How often? Once a week, maybe, you know, 360 days in a year. All the days of your life is what he said. 
that you can live in that state of victory, that you can overcome, and you can walk in that freedom all the days of your life. Now, the word soteria has another term that is derived from it, and it is translated different ways in the New Testament. It's the Greek word sozo. Sozo. Sozo literally means to heal, to make whole, to deliver, to rescue, to save. And it's used at least in four different ways in the New Testament. First of all, sozo is used in being delivered from the power of sin. It says in Matthew 121, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will sozo the people from their sins. Doesn't say he will save them in their sins. Says he will save them from. Come on now. Some of us, we need to be saved from some things. And we need to be brought into the abundant life. But we need to come out of some things. So he comes to save us from so that we can walk in the fullness of what he's called us to do. Healing of sickness and disease. James 5 verse 15. The prayer of faith shall save or sozo the sick shall heal the sick person. So it speaks of healing, being healed of physical sickness. Deliverance from demons. How many notice people that need that today still? There's a lot of people today. It's the enemy is working overtime. And many in the church no longer believe in deliverance ministry. But the truth is, Jesus died to set people free from the power of the enemy. Luke 8, 36 those also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. And it's the word sozo, was healed. And then the last application here, and this is different. It's in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 21. The writer says, James says, to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, he's writing to believers there. So how you're not going to say to believers, you need to get saved. They're already saved. But he says, there is a salvation of your soul. The Greek word there is suke. We get our English word psyche or psychological from that. And he's saying there is a work that God wants to do to deliver you from mindsets, to deliver you from emotional trauma, to deliver you from taunting memories and torment and things that have happened in your life, from addiction where you're, you know, you're so controlled by that addiction. You're so controlled that you can't break free from it by those mindsets and those patterns, from affections that are ungodly. Some people just say, like, I can't change it. You know, I love this thing too much, and, and I don't let it go. I remember when I was, was entertaining coming to Christ because I'd encountered the Lord when I, was, when I was a kid. I had been healed powerfully, but here I am. I'm not living for God, and I remember people sharing the word with me. I would be hitchhiking. You remember back in the days when people would hitchhike? And uh, <laughs> anyway, I would be hitchhiking up in Toronto, Canada, where I lived, and somebody would pick me up, and every time someone would stop, almost every time, it would be a Christian. And they start talking to me and, and sharing with me. And, you know, I would say, man, you know what? Uh, guys, just leave me alone. I'm not ready to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ready. And here, what was keeping me in bondage, which was actually a work of the enemy to deceive me, was the fact that I thought, you know what? I got to 
change and, and life's it's going to be boring. And, and, you know, I don't want to change. I, I'm enjoying my life, my sin too much. But God was wanting to change that in my life. God was wanting to deliver me from that. So I'm here to declare to you today that no matter what you've been through, even if you deal with PTSD, no matter what has happened in your life, I'm telling you that the gospel is powerful and God can heal your mind. He can cause your emotions to move into a place where you're made whole. He can cause you to be delivered and set free. This is the gospel. This is the good news that brings the power of God unto salvation, which grants us freedom from our enemies. And secondly, Jesus said, this gospel must be preached throughout the world as a testimony to all witnesses before the end comes, as a testimony to all nations before the end comes, is what he said here. Now, right now, 7.84 billion people in the world. Okay, if you look at the United Nations statistics, my bad, the figure's actually wrong. The United Nations says there's 195 nations. They do not include Taiwan. Taiwan would be 196. 195 nations. The Olympics has identified and categorized over 200 nations. But the word that Jesus is using here, the word in the New Testament, we get our word ethnic or ethnos. And that word literally speaks of people groups. According to the Joshua Project, there is currently 17,409 people groups in the world, counting every group once for each country in which they reside. Of those 17,409, there are 7,402 unreached people groups, constituting a population of 3.27 billion people who are still unreached. The definition of an unreached people group is this. Less than 2% of the people in that nation are truly born-again Christians. It means they don't have enough people to evangelize their own nation effectively. They don't have the resources. Typically, they need outside help to get the job done. Guys, there's still over 3 billion people in the world that are in that category. Most of the money that we spend and the missionaries that we send out from our Western nations are going to reach peoples. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We spend more money on Halloween costumes for our pets in America than we do on money to reach unreached people groups. That's a fact. That's, that's a fact. So there is a lot of work that still needs to be done. The gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a testimony or as a witness to all the nations. Our ministry is involved in reaching unreached people groups. We work with leaders in these nations all over the world. I have traveled there. I have seen God do miracles. I have seen the harvest come in. God is doing amazing things. But let's get back to the gospel of the kingdom. Let's begin to focus and be intentional on reaching those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing the gospel to the 1040 window and so on. Thirdly, the gospel of the 
kingdom. What does that mean? The gospel of the kingdom. Let me say this. The word kingdom, the etymology in English, king's dominion, king's domain. Every kingdom has a king, has a domain or territory, and has a, a legal jurisdiction, so to speak. So what we're speaking about here right now is the fact that we are called to literally preach the gospel to all the nations of the world, but we're called to preach not just any old gospel, but the gospel of the king's dominion. What does that mean? Let me break it down really quickly. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision, and he says, I'm watching in the night vision to behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Listen to this. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Come on. Just a side note. Do you know the gospel went to Africa before it went to North America? The fact is, the gospel of the kingdom was to be preached throughout the world. But what? The gospel of the king's dominion. Jesus was given authority that all nations should serve him, languages, peoples. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Listen, guys, every kingdom will be destroyed except the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, chapter 11, it says there will come a day. The end comes when the seventh angel blows the trumpet. It said the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord, the kingdoms of Christ and of God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of Lords. We are called to preach this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. God has come here to claim this territory, to claim these people. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the good news. He is a good king. He loves his people. He wants to extend or enlarge the territory of his kingdom. He also wants to enact justice for the subjects of his kingdom so that you and every person that comes into his kingdom experiences the fullness of the all that he has made available to us through his salvation. But he also wants to educate us and teach us how to live in his kingdom. I want to just close with this. You know, there's this powerful verse in the book of James. It's chapter 4, verse 7. And it says, if you submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. How many know that, right? You know, it's a very powerful verse. And what it teaches us is that spiritual warfare is completely ineffective without repentance and submission to Jesus Christ. You cannot just resist the devil. You need to make sure you're submitted. See, a lot of people, they want to live in the kingdom and experience the 
benefits and the blessings and the dominion and the power and the provision of the kingdom, but they are not submitted to the king. They want to have the authority, but they themselves are not under authority. And I love what the, what the Passion Translation, how it renders this verse. James 4, verse 7. Listen to this. So then, surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. He will flee in agony. My question for you this morning is, are you submitted to this king? He has given you power. He has given you absolute authority to walk in freedom, to know the blessings of his kingdom. What you believe does not matter. It's what the word of God says. We need an identification revelation. We need to begin to change our thinking and come into alignment with what the word says. The word says this is good news. The enemy has been defeated. The word says you can be free. The word says he's made a way for us to walk in salvation, soteria, to experience freedom, to experience healing, to experience deliverance. That's his promise for our lives. But he said, as we go, we preach this kingdom. We better make sure that we are living in the kingdom and we are subjected to the king himself. As we are subjected to that king, we have the assurance that the hills will melt like wax, that the enemy will tremble before us because we are in a place where we are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything is available to us, everything that we have need of. I just want to ask you to just bow your heads for a moment and I want to pray this morning. This is a moment, a holy moment where I believe God wants to do something in your life. God wants to do something in your life. This message is for you. It's for everyone who's watching. God wants you to live in the fullness of his kingdom, to experience the king's dominion. He's come that all nations, all peoples, all languages would serve him. Will you bow your knee? Is there an area in your life, are there idols in your heart? Is there an area in your life in which you are not surrendered or submitted to him? Holy Spirit is your job to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit is your job to lead your people, to lead the church into all truth. And we give you glory, and we give you honor, and we bless your name, Father, in the name of Jesus. And we declare freedom in this house. Freedom, Lord, for every person who is watching every person that is here. And Lord, would you just come and move in the hearts and lives of your people and bring us into a greater level of submission and subjection to the dominion of this king, this good king, this good king, Jesus, who loves us. Have your way, Father. Be glorified. Be exalted in the name of Jesus. And we all said... Amen. 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 Come on, give God glory. Hallelujah.